Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What, me worry? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried. Next on Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it, Nick Clark. Hey, 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 you can't be a hard Brady gets terrific. Closer, get it, touchdown, night again. Just before Brazil got it, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle, caught by Kozar at the five on his feet, touchdown Michigan! On his way. It's good! He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan, but Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schembeck. And here's your first play. Pressure coming, sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan Blue, welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. I am Steve Dace. Thank you for tuning in yet again. And the non-conference portion or the preseason is over. And what did we learn? Not a damn thing. We thought that at the very least, J.J. McCarthy had taken that next step as a quarterback. That we had a certified first-round draft pick, a guy that is the kind of player under center that you win national championships with these days. And then the Bowling Green game happened, the worst game J.J. McCarthy has ever played in a Michigan uniform. He threw three picks and frankly should have thrown a fourth on that flea flicker touchdown. And by the way, why are we running flea flickers against Bowling Green? What, What is that? But overall, we don't have that narrative now either because J.J.'s performance against Bowling Green really undermined what we saw the previous two weeks. UNLV is okay. I mean, East Carolina's 0-3. They've lost all three games by double digits. Most of the game, Bowling Green played a third-string walk-on quarterback. 
So here's where we are. A, th- a quarter of the way through the season, the running game is demonstrably worse, unless Blake Corum is carrying the football. Uh, his numbers are actually on par with where they were to start off last year. Donovan Edwards, I don't know what that is. I mean, he, I mean, it, the difference in quality of running and patience and vision when Blake is in the game compared to Donovan running behind the same five guys, it's just really stark. Um, he's just too talented of a player uh, to devolve the way that we have seen. And they're contriving ways to get him the ball, even if it means trying to force it on the goal line and causing fumbles, as we saw against the running Rebels. Um, the offensive line, Michigan finally decided it had enough of the Miles Hinton experiment. I mean, watching him every week, every week, Miles Hinton has been put on his ass. And again, we're, not, we're talking about East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. So they finally had enough, put the Arizona State transfer Ladarius Henderson in at, uh, at, at left tackle and switch Carson Bar- Barnhart to right tackle in the second half. Lo and behold, the, the performance gets demonstrably better. I mean, in other words, the lineup everybody thought they were going to play all season long. Uh, okay. Um, Michigan looked ragged against Bowling Green. I think you saw J.J. McCarthy do something we've yet to see him do in a Michigan uniform, lost his composure. Michigan looked disinterested throughout a lot of the non-conference portion. There, this is just a team loaded with pros, and, and it's, it's apparent it's aware of this, that it has read a lot of its press clippings uh, and is very aware of how dominant it is, it is supposed to be and is in many cases kind of not doing the little things. I mean, Trevor Keegan is just an example. Okay, you know, but we know that guy can be an all-American level guard. Cornelius Johnson blocking on the perimeter. Oh, you know, we'll do that in the games that count, you know. Okay, maybe maybe when you're a veteran team like this, you can just turn it on like that. And we better hope so. Because what we've seen these three weeks ain't going to cut it. And then you look at the depth. We'd heard so much talk about all the depth on this team. The second team offense never scored a single point during the three pregame, the three preseason games in the non-conference. Nothing. In fact, they weren't even close to scoring a touchdown in any of the games. Michigan looks completely ill-prepared for the new clock rules. You only run 44 plays against Bowling Green. What was it, 51 against UNLV? That's not going to cut it, man. If you're going to run so few plays against Penn State, Ohio State, even if you go on the road to Nebraska and Minnesota, the mar- you're, you're shrinking your margin for error. You are the better team than most of those teams. So the more, the more times, the more plays that are run, the more likely you are to win. If the more talented team gets to run more plays, chances are eventually that talent is going to play itself out as opposed to when you're running 44 or 51 plays a game. So Michigan seems completely ill-prepared for the new clock rules. I want to chalk some of this up to Harbaugh not being there. And so we've had this coaching shuffle, which Harbaugh himself created, making all of this worse. Right. So everybody had to get a taste, you know, Um, and and of course, you know, with Michigan in the non-conference, the minute it looks like they have any kind of a lead, take everybody out and put in the uh, put in the fives. So it's really hard to build and understand what you're looking at in the fourth quarter when a bunch of guys you won't see the rest of the season are out there playing most of it. It just seems like the entire non-conference was a waste of everybody's time and accomplished nothing. Absolutely nothing. I, don't, I can't think of a single positive. I mean, I, I want to say the defensive front looks incredible, but again, look who they played. So I don't, I don't know that either. 
again, maybe you can just turn it on. The good news is these are all guys we've seen play at a championship level the last couple of years in many cases, like the aforementioned Trevor Keegan and Cornelius Johnson, for example. So we know it's there. It's not like you're watching a team that you expected to be good because they had these new guys and, and now you're a little worried because of the way it started off. These are all guys that have, that have rings or multiple rings in a maize and blue uniform. So we're really talking about then the coaching and how much of that was thrown off by all the coaching shuffling with the suspensions and guys doing double duty. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think he did a great job as a head coach Saturday night. It certainly was not one for the, you know, Sharon Moore uh, to replace Jim Harbaugh whenever he lives narrative for sure. On the other hand, though, we did ask Sharon to be the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator and the head coach. That's that's an evening. That's a full evening. Okay, so maybe some of that, if not hopefully most of it, gets alleviated when the head man returns here this weekend and everybody kind of settles into their roles. But I got to question some of the leadership on the team, too. I mean, again, a lot of these are guys that have rings. And if we're kind of just playing like, well, let's not get hurt against, you know, East Carolina. Let's go half speed. Let's do that. I don't know, man. I kind of wonder what was the approach all offseason long? Are you really going to be able to just flip that switch just like that? I sincerely hope so. Because the game Michigan played against Bowling Green on Saturday night would have lost against every team remaining on our schedule, including Rutgers this weekend. I have no good, no idea how good Rutgers is. They're 3-0 and for the third straight year under Greg Schiano. Uh, I suspect they're probably not that good, but here's the thing. They won't be intimidated. They took Michigan to the wire in this stadium two years ago. They led at halftime in their stadium a year ago. They will come in and punch Michigan in the mouth. They will throw all kinds of exotic blitzes and looks at J.J. McCarthy to see, to make sure his, he's not rattled, that his, his confidence has been restored after whatever happened in this last game. Uh, special teams, you saw with, with Bowling Green, the pooch kicks and everything else to create turnovers. Greg Schiano is a special teams guru. They will do all of those things as well. They will, they will show no sign of intimidation against Michigan. So you're not going to throw your helmets out there and beat these guys. You're going to have to actually beat them. And it will take a better effort than we've seen thus far and a more complete effort than we've seen thus far. So who knows whether to overreact or not. I mean, the way Michigan approached these games, get the starters out ASAP. Guy's got a hangnail. He sits. Take him out. We we don't really know how injured guys are that have not played. We don't really know, um, you know, some of the cohesion and things of that nature. They've run so many guys in and out of the lineup. Here's what we do know: they had this exact same kind of schedule a year ago, and they look like a much more potent killing machine than they did against this kind of a schedule this year. So again, maybe they can just flip the switch, and with a team with this many veterans. They can do so and say, all right, now it's Big Ten season. It's go time. Let's get it on. I hope so. Because what we've seen in the non-conference does not, does not look like the kind of team that was expected to challenge for a national championship. Steve Dace here, and we get asked a lot, hey, how can we support what you guys are doing at Michigan Podcast? Well, now is a great time to become one of our supporters on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast is where you can go. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. And if you go there, we're going to make you a little jingle. Uh, in fact, you would have gotten these a few months ago, before the, long before the season even started. All of my 2023 football futures bets I've made thus far. I can't recommend a selection any more than I bet this myself. 
And last year, if you followed my football futures bets and you bet alongside of me, you made a pretty nice ROI chunk of change by the time the season ended. So keep up to date on all things we think and do uh, here at Michigan Podcast, patreon.com at Michigan Podcast. But more importantly, just five bucks a month. And chances are you're going to make a lot more money than that following our sports betting selections. Patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Again, patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. And thanks to all of you that have been supporting us already. We appreciate each and every one of you. Go Blue. Well, let's find out what they think over on the other side of the scarlet and gray septic tank with our good friend and uh, the one and only, perhaps, but probably not. I just like to tease him along those lines. Reasonable Buckeye fan, Mark Rogers, who has an outstanding YouTube channel himself, the voice of college football. Good to see you again, Mark. How are you? I am doing well, Steve. Uh, Doing much better after 63-10 against uh, Western Kentucky. Uh, Didn't mean a whole lot in some ways, but in other ways, those are the type scores that championship teams post against those type of opponents. Well, it appears we have switched spots, Mark, because the performance against Bowling Green the other night was absolutely atrocious. I think it was maybe the worst non-conference game that Michigan has played, regardless of opponent, in the Harbaugh era. Uh, Bowling Green converted numerous third and longs. Bowling Green had to play most of the game with a walk-on third-string quarterback. J.J. McCarthy played, I don't even know what number two would be. This, is, this was so by far the worst game he played in a Michigan uniform. I, I wouldn't even know where to rank number two at, at this point. Um, they finally figured out, oh, yeah, the offensive line that everybody thought we were going to start all year long, they finally went to it in the third quarter, uh, and lo and behold, it actually started working. I, I don't know why they watched Miles Hinton get put on his ass three weeks in a row, and they finally decided maybe, you know, Maybe if a guy can't block East Carolina and Bowling Green, maybe he just can't block, or at least not yet. Um, they, the team looked very ragged, looked very unprepared, looked very disinterested. And, and, you know, the one narrative we had after the first two games is this looks like now J.J. McCarthy's team. He's ready to step forward and be the kind of quarterback that drives teams to national championships, except I think his performance this week kind of stole that narrative from us. So, you know, Last year, we had a lot of guys coming back from a Big Ten champion, but your team was still the consensus preseason Big Ten favorite, and so we still got to play with a bit of a chip on our shoulder. When I look at Michigan right now, I see a team that that is way too aware of its preseason expectations. I see guys like Trevor Keegan not finishing blocks, Cornelius Johnson on the perimeter not actually blocking. I mean, these are things we know these guys do and do very well at a high level. Almost as if they're like, yeah, we came back for another year, but we're saving it, you know, for the games that count. So, you know, you've been, your program has been more consistently in this position for the last decade or two than ours has been. Maybe guys can really do that. Maybe guys can just really turn it on and, and, and you know, snap a finger and it's like, all right, this, this counts now. It matters now. I don't know. But this non-conference to me for Michigan accomplished absolutely nothing. Well, I'll say this, that uh, Jim Harbaugh made the comment uh, to the Big Ten Network guys this week that he thinks that uh, this team has some pressure on it, that they have succumbed to the weight of expectation to a certain level, to a certain degree. So I heard him say that. So that kind of speaks to that to a certain extent. Uh, I deal with probabilities because in this sport, we have less data points. The season's so short, there are so many data points that don't necessarily matter. Uh, The data points are so spread out. It's not the NFL where data points are almost equal by the week. They're all over the place. 
that I deal with probabilities. And if you look at championship teams or championship contenders at the national level, and you look at how many times they play close games, it's it's not very often. So basically what happens is you got to go, first of all, you got to go back to like Nebraska of 1995 before you find a national championship team that just didn't get challenged the entire season, just blasted everyone. So you're going to get challenged at some point. Well, that's typically against the better teams. And then there are some capable teams on the schedule, some eight and four type clubs that shouldn't usually challenge, but uh, the formula was working that particular week and that turned out to be a trouble spot. But the trouble spots should not be against the group of fives and I know that none of these games were in doubt by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at national championship teams and serious contenders for national championships, they're not messing around with these teams that Michigan has messed around with for these three weeks. So normally I would say this doesn't matter. They'll turn it on. They did race out to big leads. Typically, especially the first two weeks, the offense looked good briefly, raced out to the lead, and then they just sat on it. Uh, this was a bit different against Bowling Green at 14 to six at halftime. Uh, but if you look at the national championship contenders, series contenders and champions through the years and look at how they've played, they typically just stop these teams and move on. And they're very close, uh, very rare close calls against this level of opponent. Well, I don't even know how to do a ranking. I mean, I, I try to put a top 25 poll together every week. I, I don't even know how to do a ranking this week. I mean, you had um, Ohio State to me has looked like what we are used to Ohio State looking like for one quarter this entire season thus far. Um, Florida State tried every, every way it possibly could to blow a 31-10 lead to a team that should have lost to Holy Cross. Um, Texas was tied 10-10 to Wyoming with its backup quarterback heading into the fourth quarter. Georgia was down 24 to 14 at half against South Carolina. I mean, I, I don't even know how to do a top five. I mean, Washington looks really good, but, you know, Boise State's just not what they used to be. Michigan State, I mean, you gave up, you got 700 yards against them. That was, that's not a good team, but clearly they're also very distracted by the Mel Tugger situation there, okay, and was not really interested in, in playing much football. So, We'll see. And, and, and Washington's schedule at the end of the year, Washington and USC basically have the same schedule where there, is not, there aren't a lot of challenges early on. And then the second half of the year, they're just playing banger after banger after banger every single week. So we'll find out more about them later. I mean, I, 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 wouldn't, I wasn't even sure to put a ranking together. I mean, how, how, how good is Texas's win over Alabama now? You know, to me, I, I kept Florida State number one despite losing the B.C., because I still think they have the best win against LSU, and LSU, of course, looked terrific against Mississippi State on the road last week. But, I, you know, what you just said could apply to a lot of teams. Now, yeah. I don't think South Carolina and Bowling Green are the same, but if we're all acting as if this is the Georgia Invitational, then, you know, you're, you're not down by 10 at halftime against a team North Carolina had nine sacks against, for goodness sakes. I don't know. Do you tell me who's actually great? I don't know who it is. I really don't. Well, I'm going to blow some people's minds if they don't really understand how I rank teams. North Carolina is number one in my rankings. Nor, I do not believe that they're the best team in the country or anything close to it, but they have three quality wins against three quality opponents. 
more so than anybody else in the country. So I do it a little bit different, and then it kind of makes its way back to what is the norm for most. I will say this. I don't know if we can make an analogy between this college football season and what we see in the first couple of rounds of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, where there's chaos all over the place or perceived chaos, um, chaos in spots that it's like, oh, this is a crazy tournament. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, but the, the ones are still there. The twos are generally still there. And when it comes to a head at the end in the final four, you got two ones, a three and a five. And it's generally about where it should be. And the cream still rises at the top. It's just all that mayhem beforehand before we get there. I tend to think that that's where we're at. I know that I've added up in in recent memory the Power Five versus Group of Five results, and it's like clockwork where the Power Five wins almost 90% of those games. It's in the high 80 percentile, and that's where it is this year as well. Even though there's a lot of crazy results and a lot of near misses, uh, the teams are doing pretty much what they are supposed to do, but you're right. There's no juggernaut out there that is shown to be a juggernaut consistently no one none of none of these teams i mean look at penn state i mean look at okay they looked west virginia not a bad win they're not great but that's a nice power five win they also tacked on a touchdown in the last 30 seconds to make it look better illinois yard for yard physically was right there with penn state the entire game they just couldn't stop turning the ball over and a lot of these weren't like you know Wow, that was a wicked hit caused a fumble. A lot of these were like Luke Altmaier, Altmaier just finding wide open Nittany Lions. All right, so they were minus four in turnovers. I, I, I just don't know. I, I, I mean, if I did it strictly off of eye test, I'd probably vote Washington number one. But I, I, I just, I, I think this is a, what we've seen so far, a quarter of the way through the season. I'm not entirely sure who's good. And, you know, if you look at this year, we, we I think, had maybe the most underwhelming non-conference slate of games in in the early weeks than I can ever remember. And I think that's part of it. Now, this week, things really crank up. We have the most ranked-on-ranked games in September in 17 years. 2006 was the last time we had this many. Most of those are going to be conference games because conference games are starting earlier now. But there are a few of those that are non-conference games, like you guys are playing at Notre Dame. And so Kyle McCord, first road start, the most historic setting in the sport, Notre Dame Stadium, prime time, right? But... You know, we're going to learn a lot more, I think, these next few weeks, because I think a lot of teams, let's just say kind of, and Michigan's one of them, kind of ease their way into the season here a little bit. Steve, I don't know that there's another conference in America where the teams or the fans of those teams have a more valid comparison to make. And this really much uh, drives the narrative or the perception of your team if you're a Michigan fan, if you're a Penn State fan, if you're an Ohio State fan, because you look at your team, evaluate their performance against weak competition, but then you look at the other two and you try to size it up that way. And I don't know that there's a direct comparison like that across the sport and other conferences that's, I, I'm not going to say that it's valid because there's so much that goes into it. Uh, in terms of scheming and motivations and and levels of bad teams. Mm-hmm. Illinois is kind of a bad team right now, or they look that way after the last two weeks against Kansas and Penn State, but obviously they're not a Bowling Green bad team or a Western Kentucky bad team. Uh, 
So that's also weighing into this perception is obviously the perception of the other two. Uh, Michigan fans have been all over my channel for two weeks just pounding their chest about how great they are and that Ohio State's struggling and this won't be a game. And we're considering Penn State to be more of our rival or this year's rival or contender for the championship than Ohio State and pretty much just checking the box that Ohio State's a win at the end. And now <laughs> a lot of them change their mind because people are, they're fans, they're fanatics, they're reactionary based on one performance and one result. Um, so, so that's where we're at uh, for Ohio State. Obviously, a lot's going to be discovered this Saturday in South Bend. That will be fascinating because I think we've got a situation where Ohio State's a better, more athletic team. They're, they're, but they've not been playing as well as Notre Dame until last week. They played a much better game and eased some concerns. But the question that I've got in comparing these two quarterbacks is – no quarterback likes pressure, can withstand heavy pressure. Tom Brady can't throw touchdown passes mm -hmm. on his rear end. But the pressure, what does that do between the quarterback's ears? Uh, for Sam Hartman with 45 or 50 starts under his belt, I got to think that he bounces back from that. He's not going to be uh, hurrying his passes when he's got a comfortable pocket because he got pressured three consecutive dropbacks before that and being imagining pressure. Where is Kyle McCord? I don't know that he's gonna respond like that, but it's, again, I tend to predict and project things based on probabilities, and the probability is that Kyle McCord is going to be, if he's pressured early, that's going to impact and affect him the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. And um, I think he is to have success throughout this game, and I was making this comment to somebody uh, yesterday on a show that if this is a shootout and it's 45-42 and Kyle McCord's got the ball in his hands with two minutes left and he's got to drive the field, well, if he's thrown for 405 yards and he's gained a level of comfort, then that's a much different situation than if they're down by three or four points with two minutes left and it's a 14-10 game and his defense is winning the game or keeping them in the game and he hasn't accomplished anything, and he's got no confidence at that point that he can do anything. So uh, litmus test for the Buckeyes, uh, I, I think this game's a, a toss-up uh, in South Bend. Before I let you go, what do you expect to see from Michigan and Rutgers on Saturday before you all play? Uh, Shiano is you know, still one of the best defensive minds in our league. Clearly, he watched that tape. I think you're going to see them completely take away the run and see where J.J. McCarthy's confidence is really at. Uh, they played Michigan down to the last snap two years ago, and that Michigan team went on to win the Big Ten Championship. They actually led Michigan at the halftime last year, and that Michigan team went on to win the Big Ten Championship. But Rutgers, therefore, won't be intimidated at all. Um, and then I think, you know, Shannon's a big special teams guy. And he probably looks at some of the special teams gimmicks that Bowling Green tried, and those worked. And I think we'll see some more of that kind of stuff this Saturday, too. But what do you think we're going to see? Well, I know that Chris Partridge alluded to being very vanilla. He wouldn't come out and say it, but uh, on some of the responses that I read this week that you could tell, uh, we held back. We were pretty vanilla. Now, do they need to get exotic against Rutgers, who threw for 46 yards against Virginia Tech last week? We know who Rutgers is. They're, they're a low-grade Michigan. 
is uh, pre-J.J. McCarthy developing into a better quarterback, Michigan. So Wolverine fans don't jump on me for that. No, that's, that's, a, that's an apropos. Similar coaches in terms of their mindsets and the way they see the game. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But, but they're not going to win this game throwing for 350 yards, but they're not going to win it running for 50 or throwing for 50 yards either. They they need to have some semblance of a passing game. And Gavin Wimsat is not a great quarterback, but I don't know that he's been given the opportunity to be. I think he's got a skill set that's higher than previous Rutgers quarterbacks. So there is opportunity for them to make a play here and there to throw for 150, 180, and make that part of the offense that could stay in the game. Uh, shoot, Jim Harbaugh said if we win by one game or one point, that's a success. So Michigan fans remember that. Uh, Jim Harbaugh said we only need to win by one point. Uh, that'll be good enough. But this is a good team. Uh, yeah, Rutgers doesn't have enough to challenge this Michigan team, especially one that for all the disappointments of the last couple of weeks, the defensive line is playing lights out and will control that game and will stuff the run. And then you've got a uh, Rutgers offense uh, passing game that's not up to it. So mm -hmm. I think Michigan wins this game, you know, 27 to 6, 27 to 9, something like that. Uh, you know, it's not going to be pretty, but they're going to be comfortable. Well, good stuff, Mark. Always good to see you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, do you still think Michigan will win the Big Ten title after what you saw during the non-conference? And man, these numbers have changed since the preseason. 57% said yes, that number would have been in the 70s or 80s before the year. 43% said no. So some of you are watching the same non-conference that I'm watching. Again, I hope they can just flip a switch. Maybe they can. These guys, there's a lot of championship DNA on that roster, but man, it has not shown up very much so far. What's largely shown up is a bunch of guys who are like, we know we can beat these fools and we'll wait and turn it on when these games actually matter. Well, they're going to start mattering quite a bit here this week. That brings us to our feedback of the week. Tyler Joseph says, I'm not drawing any conclusions on any of Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State based off of their crappy schedule so far. Nobody wins or loses championships by blowing out crappy teams. Win and move on. And that's, for me, an Ohio State fan. And there is something to that. You know, it was Harbaugh or somebody else I saw in my Twitter feed on the Michigan side of things say today, uh, and they raised a very interesting point. Now that sports betting and gambling is becoming comprehensively legal, comprehensively legal across the country, and that seal has been broken the taboos of discussing point spreads and stuff and you know people could not even back in the day when brett musburger would mention the the point spread in a in a college game that uh, he was covering for cbs back in the 80s well now this stuff is common vernacular the parlance is everywhere and so it's also it, it is is it greatly influencing the perceptions of these games that people have like if michigan's favored by 38 over East Carolina and wins 30-3 to three instead 
and East Carolina only scored because it kicked a field goal on the very last play of the game. Well, you knew Michigan was supposed to win by more than 38. Normally, you would have said that was a dominant performance. I, I, that is an interesting hypothesis. I, I do think that it is factoring in to the zeitgeist of thought, and that's something to think about moving forward for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, share, five-star review, follow, whether you're watching here on YouTube or listening there on iTunes. Help us to find more Michigan fans just like you, pretty please. And thank you to all of you who already have. You can also keep up with us in between episodes on Twitter or X or Twitter X. At Michigan Podcast is where you will find us there. At Michigan Podcast. Great stuff. Also, it's great to talk to you guys every single week. Look forward to it. Thanks for all your comments in the comments section. Keep those coming as well. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue. Go Blue.